2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may be believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine the text for us this morning, that you would help us to hear and to understand and to obey your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me special grace in order to communicate faithfully and with precision and clarity. Lord, we depend upon you. Lord, I'm depending upon you. So help us now, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. I've always seen pictures of Mount Hermon that were snow-capped pictures that were absolutely gorgeous. This huge mountain of snow at the north of Israel. And yet I had never seen it snow-capped. The pictures were uh, in Tiberias that I had seen, and I always want, wanted to see the mountain snow-capped, and I always looked, and, and you're supposed to be able to see the mountain all the way from the Galilee, all the way from the Sea of Galilee, but it was always cloudy, and I was never able to see the mountain, but when I was there in March... Uh, Mount Hermon was snow-capped, and I was up in the north in Kiryat Shmona, and I got to see it every day. And I got to look at it every day. And from a distance, it looks like just a massive peak, but when you get close to it, you see the foothills and the valleys, even in the foothills that lead up to the peak. And it's all considered Mount Hermon. 
It's massive. And there are multiple peaks. And then the largest peak is what we see in the pictures. The way the prophets saw the day of the Lord is like the way we see Mount Hermon. You see, from a distance, it looks like one big mountain. But the closer you get, you see foothills and peaks and valleys. When I was there, I got to go up on top of the Golan on Mount Bental and look. And you could see the valleys and the hills leading up to the peak. And I drove up to the top and there's a a ski resort there. And I, I didn't go snowboarding because I know that I would have broken my leg and wouldn't have been able to get back to the state. But that's the way Joel saw the day of the Lord is one big peak. And yet there were many parts to the mountain that he was seeing in the day of the Lord. In fact, in the passage that Andrew read, the the day of the Lord The the pouring out of the spirit that happens before and the the cataclysmic signs. And and we see that even with the first coming of the Lord Jesus, the the cross. Remember, the sky was darkened in the middle of the day. It was a cataclysmic sign. This was part of the day of the Lord. The pouring out of the spirit on the day of Pentecost, Peter actually says, this is what Joel was talking about. And it's all coming before the day of the Lord, that great day when Jesus will part the sky, his second coming, and that's the mountain peak, the day, his coming. And there was all kinds of confusion. Has, has the day come? Has, has it already happened? And there were false teachers who were taking even what Paul had taught and twisting it, and people were confused. Chapter 2, Paul is correcting the confusion, saying, no, we're in the last days, but that day has not happened yet. And there's some things that have to happen. There's some peaks and valleys that have to happen before that great day. And he's going to tell us about those details. The headings in most of your Bibles may say the man of lawlessness. And really, this is less about the man of lawlessness. There are a lot of details about the man of lawlessness, but it's really about the coming of the Lord and the gathering of his people. That's what this text is about the coming of the Lord and the gathering of his people. Verse 1 says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul tells the church at Thessalonica, he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with a voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is about the coming of the Lord and our being gathered together with Him as the people of God. Whether those who have already gone to be with him, those who have already died in Christ or those who are still alive, we will all be gathered together with him when he comes. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains comes upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So the day of the Lord for the believer is the blessed hope. It's a day of glory where we will see him as he is and we will be transformed in his presence remember we learned last week that god is preparing us for that day even through the trials and tribulations that we're going for he's preparing us to glorify him on that day but there was confusion and paul was correcting the confusion so concerning the coming of the Lord and the gathering of his people, there's a couple things that we see in this text. Number one, that it has not happened yet, so don't be dismayed. And we see this in verses 1 to 2. Secondly, it will not happen until certain events take place, so don't be deceived. And then we're going to end by bringing it all together, number three, that the day of the Lord is coming at an hour you don't expect, so don't be distracted. Let's start in verses one and two, that the coming of the Lord and the gathering of his people has not happened yet, so don't be dismayed. Verse one, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Now, in the original language, it starts with now we ask you, brothers. So that's the, the, the emphasis is, is on we ask you, brothers. There's two words in the original language that could be used for we ask you. And it's one is a very forceful word. We implore you. We ask you. It's a it's a demanding Word. The second one is a very intimate word. It's an intimate request. Now, we ask you, brothers. And it really flows out of what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Paul says this, But we were gentle among you, 
like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is the context, and this is the word that Paul uses. Now, we ask you, brothers, this is really important. We, we're caring for you. So this is an intimate request, a, a loving, caring action. We ask you concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together with him, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. That's what he's asking. Concerning this day, we ask you not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed. Quickly shaken is to be suddenly jolted or rattled or unnerved. It's the picture of a tossing and shaking of a, a ship on or a boat that's, that's tied to a dock and it's Tossed to the point where it's unmoored and drifting away. Paul is saying, we're asking you not to be jolted, to be quickly shaken, not to be rattled or unnerved, not to be loosed from your moorings or alarmed, troubled, anxious, upset, and Really, this, both of these is to be jolted and then to be continuously upset and anxious. We don't want this false teaching to undo you. We don't want you to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us. Really, the seeming to be from us could be tied to all three of them. A spirit or a prophecy, a spoken word. It could have been a, a sermon, a teaching, or a letter seeming to be from us. And people were twisting, attributing things to Paul. The Paul saying, no, no, this is... That's not what I said. That is absolutely wrong. The day of the Lord has not come. The, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ has not happened yet. To be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. That's what he's saying. It hasn't happened yet. So don't be dismayed. Don't be unnerved. Don't be loose from your moorings. Don't be upset and anxious. It hasn't happened yet. It's yet to come. Secondly, the coming of the Lord and the gathering of his people will not happen until certain events take place. So don't be deceived. He's saying it's possible for you to be deceived. I don't want you to be deceived. There's certain events that have to take place. Now, certain, what I'm meaning by that is specific. Specific events that have certain details. But what I also mean by certain is definite. Events that will certainly come to pass. So he gives three. 
the rebellion, the revelation of the man of lawlessness, and the removal of restraint according to God's sovereign timing. Three things, certain events that must take place, so don't be deceived. So look at verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. Let not any one of you be deceived in any way. It's very emphatic. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. Well, what is the rebellion? It's, there's a definite article right here, and it's the apostasy. The apostasia. The turning away, the falling away, the rebellion against God, the rejection. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus speaks about this. Verses 10 to 13. Jesus says, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The rebellion. Paul spoke about it in 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and following. He says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul also says this, Verse 1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And we read this and we say, the rebellion is happening, right? Wow, we see that. And they saw it then as well. We're in the last days. We've been in the last days. But what's being spoken of here is something that's even more visible, even more out there. He says in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, verses 3 and 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So the first thing that has to take place is the rebellion. And the Thessalonians must have known what he was talking about when he said the rebellion. They would have been familiar with that. The apostasy prophesied in the Old Testament and Paul taught about it in his pastoral epistles and Jesus spoke about it to his disciples. The second thing that must happen first is the revelation of the man of lawlessness. 
Look at what he says in verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Who is the man of lawlessness? Well, it's clear that in the scriptures that this is the Antichrist. John says this in his epistle in 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18 says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. In other words, there have been many who've come in the spirit of Antichrist, but there's one who's coming in these last days, and it's the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist. And throughout the ages, people have tried to identify who is this person. Now, in the Reformation, they said, it's the Pope. In more recent days, they said, it's Hitler. It's Stalin, and everybody's trying to identify the man of lawlessness. But the point is not to identify the man of lawlessness. We're going to know who it is because in the key verse 8, it says this, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. We're going to know then who the man of lawlessness is because we're going to know because Jesus is going to wipe him out with the breath of his mouth when he comes again. But we do have some descriptions about the man of lawlessness that Paul gives us. He's described in six ways. First of all, he's described as the son of destruction. Look at this. It says, Unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He's the one on whom destruction is coming and he is leading many to that same destruction. He's the son of destruction. He's also described as the one who exalts himself as God. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. He is so arrogant. He exalts himself as God. Thirdly, he's the one who takes his seat in the temple of God. So that he takes his seat in the temple of God. Now this is prophesied in Daniel chapter 9 and In Daniel chapter 11, Mark chapter 13, Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks of this as well. The son of destruction who exalts himself as God, the one who takes his seat in the temple of God, and the one, fourthly, who proclaims himself to be God. Look at the end of verse 4, proclaiming himself to be God. This person is so arrogant that he exalts himself and he proclaims himself before the whole world that he is God. But fifthly, he's described as the one who comes by the activity of Satan. 
Verse 5, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. So there will be false signs, powerful miracles that this one will do by the power of Satan. He's coming by the power and activity of Satan. And the sixth description is that he is the one who comes with wicked deception the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved see there are people who will be deceived they don't love and obey the truth of the gospel and they are given in to the deception of this one who proclaims himself to be God. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The son of destruction leads many right along with him into destruction. So, the coming of the Lord and the gathering of his saints cannot happen unless the rebellion comes first, unless first the revelation of the man of lawlessness happens, and then thirdly, the removal of restraint according to God's sovereign timing. Look back at verses 6 and 7 where he says, And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Now, most theologians are really baffled by this. Okay, what is restraining? Who is restraining? What is this? I take this to be that the sovereign God is restraining because it speaks of the timing. It says, and as you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. And really the word that is used there is the same word at the appointed time. That God is in control of and sovereignly ruling over everything that happens according to its appointed time. So this must first take place. The removal of restraint according to God's sovereign timing and the revelation of the man of lawlessness and the rebellion before Jesus returns and gathers his people to be with him. So don't be dismayed and don't be deceived. There's things that have to happen first that hadn't happened yet. And you might say, wait a minute. It seems like in the New Testament there is such an emphasis on he could be coming any time, right? You need, you need to be ready, and that's exactly right. This teaching that Paul is giving is not to 
distract people away from being ready. No, in no way. It's to clarify that for them so that they will not be deceived, they will not be dismayed, that they will understand a little bit more details so that they can focus on being ready and not being distracted. So I want you to turn to Mark chapter 13 for the last point, and that's that the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together of his people is coming at an hour that you don't expect. So don't be distracted. In Mark chapter 13, in verses five and following, and Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. It's the same word that Paul uses in this passage that we've been studying. Don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled. Don't be anxious. This must take place, but the end is not yet. He's saying, when you see the signs Don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled. The end is not yet. He's wanting to encourage them. He says, there's things that have to happen first, so just focus on being ready. And that's what he says in verses 32 to 37. He says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard. Keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work and commends or commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And then flip over to Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus says this in verse 29 and following. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. These cataclysmic signs in heaven. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from from one end of heaven to the other. And so Jesus says in verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And in verse 42, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. And verse 44, therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. What we see is the tension that we hold these things together. We need to be ready. Jesus is coming at an hour that we do not know and that we will not expect. So 
We need to get ready. And that's what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, the very beginning, chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, unexpectedly. But I don't want you to be thrown off course, shaken from your moorings, unnerved, shocked by some false teaching that would lead you astray. It hasn't happened yet. And there's certain events that must take place before he comes. So focus on being ready. You don't know when it's going to be. Don't get bogged down trying to figure out who the man of lawlessness is. Don't get bogged down trying to predict a day. No, we don't know. Our responsibility is to be ready. And let me ask you this. Are you ready? Because the worst thing that could happen, and the same thing, the worst thing that could happen to the Thessalonians, that they could hear this and say, oh, well, Jesus isn't coming in my lifetime. Because all these things have got to happen. So I'm going to live like I want to, because it doesn't matter. Absolutely not. The reality is that we don't know, you don't know, and our responsibility is to be ready. We don't need to be thrown off course, and we don't need to be deceived. So if people say he's come, or this is the man of lawlessness, or distracting us from all, with all of these things, these prophecies, these modern-day prophecies of this is what's happening. Here's the timeline. Don't be deceived by that. Just know that we need to be ready. He's coming at an hour that we won't expect. So let's be ready. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace towards us in Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be a people prepared who are ready, who are pursuing holiness, who are putting sin to death daily in anticipation of that great day. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be dismayed, that we wouldn't be distracted, but that we would fix our eyes upon Jesus and that we would wait for his appearing, Lord, with great energy, with great excitement, with great faithfulness, that we would do our work heartily, that we would fulfill our responsibilities with all of our might, or that we would not be lulled into idleness or worldliness, but that we would set our hope on Jesus. And that blessed appearance... So come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Come. We know that you are coming soon. And we don't know when, but we're going to be ready. And Lord, I pray for those who may be here and have not set their hope on Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that today would be the day of salvation, that today that they would see Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead as the only hope for sinners that they would turn from their sins and put their trust in Christ and so be saved. For just as we heard in the passage from Joel, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So Lord, we pray that many would be saved and would not be deceived and not head towards 
destruction on that day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.